You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Well, we're going to be turning to Isaiah chapter 9 again. We've been resting there, studying there as a church in this Christmas season. And uh, so I'm going to call you on you to, to turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 9 at this time, verses uh, 1 to 7. And uh, it's just been a joy, actually, for me to study uh, his word, to, to know more about him. It's been a challenge as well to be looking at these four names and to be uh, diving deep into God's word uh, to learn more about who he is. Uh, so I want to welcome you back into our Christmas series. It's called uh, He Shall Be Called. We're getting that from Isaiah 9, uh, 6. And uh, you can see the list of names there. We're going to read that uh, in a moment. But I pray that uh, in the busyness and the hustle and bustle of this season, as we're anticipating uh, the day to come, that, uh, that we would uh, be focusing our minds on Christ. And I'm praying that the Lord is using uh, this series to help us to focus our hearts on that Christ child, the Savior that was born into the world. So amidst the gift-giving, amidst the lights, amidst all the family and friends, we want to be worshiping. We want to be worshiping our Lord and Savior. As Christians, we have to be careful. We have to be careful to keep our hearts in tune to what Christmas is about. You know, as the world celebrates Christmas without Christ, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves uh, fumbling through to the end of December 26th and 27th, looking back and realizing, I really didn't spend a whole lot of time focusing on my Savior. And so that's why we want to point you to the Scriptures to prepare your heart Prepare your eyes to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. It's important for us to do that, and I'm praying that these four messianic titles, these names that he shall be called, is leading your hearts to to ponder the glory, what has been revealed to us, to, to be excited about the magnitude of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. But as we look at these titles, we also know that they have implications. They have application for us as Christians. And so as we've already studied the first two, we're going on to the third. And so just for a quick review, as we've already studied the first two names, we've already studied Wonderful Counselor, we've already studied Mighty God. Wonderful Counselor, remember, uh, means that Jesus came 2,000 years ago to become what? To become miraculous wisdom for us. That you and I are tragically foolish But God is supernaturally wise. Therefore, he sent himself, he sent Jesus Christ to become miraculous wisdom for us, to save us from our folly, to save us from our wandering. And then last week we had the title, Mighty God. We had this this running statement going through the sermon, right? That Christmas means war, not something that you usually think about. But it means war because Jesus had to come as a mighty warrior king. He had to come and battle our world to conquer our flesh and to destroy our enemy. So wonderful counselor, mighty God, Isaiah is prophesying about this coming Messiah. And we know looking back that that is Jesus Christ. And that brings us to a third name this morning. A third name revealed by the Holy Spirit through the prophet Messiah in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and then this third name, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. The coming Messiah, the Savior of the world, that child wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger 2,000 years ago, shall be called Everlasting Father. Jesus is called Everlasting Father. He's called Everlasting Father because you and I need a fatherly king. We need a fatherly king who is infinite, incorruptible, indestructible, inexhaustible, and unstoppable. And that's who the Everlasting Father is. But before we approach the text to study who he is, let's pray and ask for the Spirit's help. Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you that we got to sing. We thank you that that last song really magnified you as our Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, that you are one God, yet three, three persons, everyone doing their role within the Godhead, teaching us about who you are. Lord, we thank you for that this morning. We thank you that the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is is to gift us, but also to illuminate the scriptures to us, to convict us of sin, and to work your word into our hearts, to stir up our souls and, and to see the sin that remains. Lord, we pray that as we walk through the doors here this morning, that we would remember that as Christians, we come through those doors forgiven. We come through the doors forgiven by the everlasting Father. Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us, and we pray that as we walk through those doors and we gather together as your people, we also remember that we walk in here with a week full of life and and sin. We pray that we would lay that down at your feet this morning, that we would be approaching your throne with repentance and faith, knowing that Christ is the wonderful counselor, He is the mighty God, and today, would you teach us what it means that he is everlasting Father? We pray it in his name. Amen. So i got to tell you, this week, as I was studying uh, this name of Christ this week, the Messiah that was to come, I had a lot of head-scratching to do. You know, I've seen this text throughout my life. I've read it many times, but when it comes to preaching... Jesus as the everlasting Father, this is not a a simple subject. The fact that Jesus is being referred to as the everlasting Father is kind of tricky to understand. We have to be careful with it because if it's understood wrongly, it can even come across as contradictory, controversial, or even at worst, heretical if it's taken the wrong way. Because, because an orthodox, biblical understanding of God as revealed in Scripture is that we have one God, yet he is three persons. I've got a diagram up there for you. You can't explain the Trinity perfectly. Everybody tries to explain the Trinity by you know, saying that he's like ice and water, all these kinds of things. They all fall short. None of them actually show the mystery of who God is. 
We have to just trust in what God's word says about who he is. And as you see behind me, this is just a diagram showing you that, that our God is a triunity. He is a, a trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. These, these are three distinct persons within the Godhead, yet they are all God, one God. And so good biblical theology is going to show you that the Father is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit is not the Father, he is not the Son. And then the Son, Jesus Christ, is God, yet he's not the Spirit, nor is he the Father. So what is Isaiah saying here? What is he prophesying about when he's calling the Messiah to come, the everlasting Father? Is he saying that Jesus is the everlasting Father? Is he saying that Jesus is the Father of the Trinity? Is, is he confused? Is he confusing his theology? Is he misspeaking? What does he mean by calling the Messiah the everlasting Father? There's got to be something going on here. So cue the head-scratching at the start of this week. Well, friends, we can take heart if we're just a little bit confused about this. If I'm confused about this, you know, one of the greatest preachers of all time, he struggled to preach this text. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, as he's known, in the 1800s, he considered this text to be one of the most difficult things to preach. In fact, as he was preaching through the names of this Messiah from Isaiah 9, he preached Wonderful Counselor, and then he preached Mighty God before Christmas one year, but then he actually stopped. He couldn't, he couldn't tackle Everlasting Father. He didn't feel that he could do that. He was uh, confused as to how to preach this. This is the Prince of Preachers, right? Or so he was called. Until December 9th of 1866. Uh, he studied uh, with his elders and uh, he began his sermon this way. He said, how complex is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ? Almost in the same breath, the prophet calls him a child and a counselor, a son, and the everlasting father. This is no contradiction, and to us, scarcely a paradox, but it is a mighty marvel that he who was an infant should at the same time be infinite. He who was the man of sorrows should also be God over all, blessed forever, and that he who is in the divine trinity, always called the Son, should nevertheless be correctly called the everlasting Father. How forcibly this should remind us of the necessity of carefully studying and rightly understanding the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must not suppose that we shall understand him at a glance, a look will save the soul, but patient meditation alone can fill the mind with the knowledge of the Savior. Now, I have a, I have a beard, but I'm no Spurgeon, okay? Uh, if it was a challenge for him, it should be a challenge for us as well. But like he said, at first glance, it may be hard to understand the depths of our Savior being revealed as everlasting Father, but we need deep, 
patient, prayerful, careful study in order to understand these things. So, friends, the prophet Isaiah, he's not calling Jesus, he's not calling the Messiah, everlasting Father, to throw a wrench into our theology. He's not speaking, actually, about the Trinity at all. What he's talking about is the character of this Messiah to come. He's using a descriptive analogy of fatherhood about who this Messiah is going to be, what kind of king he's going to be in his kingdom. And so the first thing we want to focus our eyes on here this morning is this descriptive word everlasting. We're going to start with the word everlasting. This word is describing something about the Messiah that is so crucial for us to understand as believers. The fact that the promised Messiah is everlasting teaches us first that his personhood is infinite. His personhood is infinite. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah is infinite. He is eternal. He is everlasting. He is God. He has always been and he always will be. He's everlasting. This Messiah that Isaiah is describing is not only, like we said, wisdom from God and a mighty warrior, he is also eternal. His personhood is infinite. And this is such an important foundation for us to understand as Christians that even though Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ, his birth into the world was not his beginning. Yes, it was the beginning of his human nature, but it wasn't the beginning of his personhood. In his miraculous conception, in that miraculous birth of a a virgin, our Savior, the eternal Son of God, put on human nature just like you and me. He became like you and me. But before that day, 2,000-something years ago, he existed as God. Before he was a human, he existed forever as the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the Godhead. In eternity past, he was always the Son of God. And then he comes and he takes on human flesh. And then he will forever exist as the, the eternal Son of God and the eternal Son of Man. This is so glorious to try to understand. He comes and puts on flesh like you and me, and he will exist forever with human flesh, glorified flesh. Friends, the Messiah that this Isaiah is revealing here is one that can only be an everlasting God. There are no other options. In the fourth century, a major battle took place in the church around the very topic of Jesus being eternal. Some in the church were teaching that Jesus couldn't be eternal. They were teaching that Jesus was a created being, therefore he couldn't be eternal. And so in 325 A.D., Church leaders from all over the world got together to to carefully study and define the eternal nature of Christ. And they put together what is known as the Nicene Creed. 
And regarding Jesus Christ and his eternality, they say this, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. They were very careful in how they were to word that because there was confusion going on in the church and it was leading people to heresy. The eternality of Jesus Christ, the eternal personhood, is extremely important for us to understand. Wayne Grudem says in in his systematic theology, It is by far the most amazing miracle in the whole Bible, far more amazing than the resurrection, more amazing than the creation of the universe, the fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become a man and join himself to a human nature forever. So that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. That's what Christmas is about. It's so crucial for us to know this. It's so crucial for us to believe this, that Jesus was not created. That his miraculous incarnation was the infinite putting on the finite. That Jesus will be forever 100% God and 100% man. Not for himself, but for us. And the fact that Isaiah is prophesying about his eternality just speaks volumes about who the Savior is was going to be to these people. They, remember, it was veiled. They, they, they were looking for a savior. They were looking for a king. And Isaiah is revealing that he is going to be an eternal, everlasting father king. Up to this point in Israel's history, in the book of Isaiah, every leader, every judge, every king that Israel ever had were fallen. They were sinful People and they always fell short of the glory of God. Even when you think of David, think of the sin that he fell into, and then you think of Solomon. These guys were the greatest kings. They expanded the kingdom of Israel to the furthest points, and yet they fell into temptation. Even Solomon, with his great wisdom given to him as God, he did not practice what he preached. He was fallen. He was sinful. People looked to kings. They wanted the kings to lead them, to guide them, to bring them prosperity, to bring them life. But earthly kings could only deal with the temporary, right? They can only deal with the natural, the things that are in this world. They cannot deal with eternity. And so you have to come from eternity to deal with eternity. And so 2,000 years ago, eternity came down. The everlasting came down, and he puts on flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ. His person is infinite. Friends, you and I have sinned against an infinitely holy God. Therefore, God had to send his infinite son. 
The testimony of the scriptures reveal over and over again that human beings cannot save themselves. We want to. We want to work hard. We want to try to save ourselves. Every other religion, apart from true biblical Christianity, teaches you that you can climb a ladder, that you can work your way to heaven by doing good things. But when you read Scripture over and over and over again, you can't save yourself. Kings can't save you. A few of us are studying, or we're studying Jonah on Thursday mornings, and, and uh, I remember Jonah 2.9 says it so clearly. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is not from this earth. Salvation is not from a king. Salvation is not in the sacrifice of an animal. Salvation is from the Lord. Why? Because our sinful debt is so great. Our sinful debt against an infinite holy God is so great because he is infinitely holy. That's why Jesus had to come. He is the one from eternity. He is the eternal one. He's the only one that could deal with the eternal. And only an eternal God-man, Jesus Christ, could repay the debt that we owed. So Christmas is about eternity coming down. It's about a baby who Colossians says is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christmas is not a, not a it's not about a birth of a mere man. It's not about a birth of just a good teacher. It's the birth of the God-man. It's about our eternal creator, our infinite author, writing himself into history because only he could pay the debt that we owe. And so it's so good to remind ourselves of these things. I don't know if you experience this in your Christian walk, but I find that at times I can take my salvation for granted. I can take Jesus for granted. Do you find yourself sometimes just kind of coasting? Coasting as a Christian, flatlining, kind of plateauing, not really going anywhere. Do you find yourself not as excited about your faith as you once were? Maybe you even get into seasons of numbness and doubt. And dare I even say that we would be bored with our faith. We hear the gospel sometimes and we're unmoved. Brothers and sisters, we need to repent of this. We need to recapture the beauty and the glory of the infinite one come down. We let the love of the world, we let the love of ourselves, we let the love of our sin overshadow the glory of the infinite one who has come down. And so as you and I approach a new year, 
may it be our goal, may it be our aim to recapture that awe of who Jesus is, the infinite one who has come down. Let us throw off anything that is hindering us from seeing the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us be putting off that old man that wants to keep rising up and fighting for our affections and let us be putting him off and putting on the infinite one. Putting on the one whose personhood is infinite. So according to Isaiah, this child that was to be born, this son that was to be given, he would be everlasting. But it doesn't stop there, right? He would be And he shall be called Everlasting Father. Really interesting. This is going to show us that his paternity is incorruptible. Jesus is the Everlasting Father. He is the Messiah. And his paternity, his fatherhood, is incorruptible. Now again, Isaiah is not trying to throw a wrench into our Trinitarian theology. He's not trying to reorder the Godhead by saying that the Messiah shall be called Everlasting Father. As the Holy Spirit is speaking through Isaiah, remember, he's not teaching about the Trinity here. He's revealing what kind of character this coming Messiah was going to have, what kind of a Savior he was going to be, what kind of a king he was going to be in his kingdom. In the ancient Near East, the title father was often used for rulers of a country, kings of a nation. We even use this today as we refer to our leaders of our country, the ones who started our country. We call them what? We call them our founding fathers. It was those who stepped forward to speak, those who would lead, those who would protect our country in its in infancy, right? In the birthing of our nation, we have forefathers. They were setting the standard. They're making the laws and they represent the people. This is the sense that we need to start with as we're thinking about Jesus Christ as being the everlasting father. So as Jesus is everlasting, as all things were created through him and for him, and as he puts on flesh, he is the first born in his new creation, right? He is the king of the kingdom. All who came to saving faith are born of him. All who become kingdom citizens who are freed from the domain of darkness are then brought under his rule as a king. And he rules, and he leads, and he protects, and he loves his people like a father, like a good, perfect, everlasting father. As Christians, we are brothers, and we are sisters in Jesus Christ. We have been adopted into the family of God by the finished work of Christ. We have become citizens of the everlasting kingdom of God because of Jesus Christ. It was the only way. This everlasting Father stamps your passport for the kingdom in his blood. And he sustains us in that as well. As we live and we move and we have our being, we do that 
because of Jesus Christ. He sustains us. Our everlasting ruler, our everlasting king, father, cares for his citizens, not like pawns, not like peasants, but as children. Children that he loves. Children he died for. Children that he cherishes. And therefore he rules not like earthly rulers. He rules not like an earthly father either. He rules like an everlasting father. And so his paternity, his fatherhood is incorruptible. Now when it comes to the topic of fatherhood, some of us have great thoughts and affections when we think of our fathers, and that's good. Some have hard feelings when it comes to talking about your father, your earthly father. Some of your fathers may have been cold. They may have been distant. They may have been removed from your life. Maybe your father didn't care for you well. Maybe he didn't provide for you well. Maybe there was issues in his life. Maybe you never felt loved by your father. Maybe you experienced rejection from your father. Maybe you've experienced trauma or abuse from your father. Maybe you never knew your father. Or he died when you were too young. Whatever the case, your perspective of fatherhood or male authority in your life may be tainted because of your experience with your earthly father. And we acknowledge that and our prayers and our heart go towards you at this time. But when you hear about Jesus Christ as being your everlasting father, maybe the experience you had with your earthly father doesn't bring up warm, fuzzy feelings towards Jesus being your everlasting Father. Maybe it doesn't bring up positive thoughts. Maybe it's a struggle to make those connections. But Jesus is our everlasting Father. He is a good, perfect Father. We need to thank the Lord for the fathers that we had while also acknowledging that our earthly fathers are fallen. They are sinful. They are broken. I'm a father. I'm sinful. I came into this world broken. So fatherhood has been experienced differently from each one of us here this morning. But we have to remember that we can't impose what we know about our earthly fathers onto our heavenly father. We have to hear the revelation of his word about who this father is. And so that's why we're studying Jesus Christ as the everlasting father. As our earthly fathers are corruptible, Jesus, the everlasting father, is incorruptible. He is a father that is perfect. He is a leader that is gentle. He is a ruler that is forgiving. He is a king that is loving. He's the one that will never leave you nor forsake you if you are his. He's the one that said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus came as an everlasting father because our earthly fathers fall short 
Our worldly leaders are corruptible. As our first earthly father, Adam, went astray from the very beginning, our fathers have been going astray ever since then. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam is the pinnacle father that we look to who gave himself to sin, but it's also reflective of ourselves. If we were there, we would have done the same thing. And so we are found in Adam before we are found in Christ. And in Adam, if we stay in Adam, our father, we die. But in Christ, we shall all be made alive. So you see this juxtaposition of fathers. Adam is a father to us, but there was a greater father coming, the everlasting father, Jesus Christ. So no matter how bad your father experience was or is, Christ came to be your perfect, everlasting Father who loves you so perfectly, who loves you so tenderly, who listens to your cries of mercy when you run to him, who works all things together for your good, who heals your deepest wounds, who forgives your darkest sins, who restores you to right standing with your heavenly Father. How? Through his blood. And he does all this with kindness. His kindness leads us to repentance, right? And gentleness and mercy and grace as he grows us in him. That's our everlasting father. So as Christmas can be a time of painful father memories, if you want to experience the love of a perfect father, run to the Christmas story. Run to that child born in a lowly stable. Run to eternity incarnate. See the eyes of that Christ child who loves you as the perfect father who wants to rule your heart with grace. The one who wants to make you a new creation. The one who wants to adopt you into his eternal family. What an infinite, incorruptible, loving father. Again, not confusing our Trinitarian Heavenly Father. This is his character towards his people as a ruler. So as Jesus shall be called Everlasting Father, brothers and sisters, if he is your Savior, if if he is your Lord, he is your Everlasting Father. And so as we think of that, what do we have to fear What do we have to worry about in this life? We have the infinite Son of God from eternity past to eternity forever who is our everlasting Father. And he's the one who's going to rule over us with heavenly, everlasting love. We're going to get to that later, love. So as Christmas time usually involves gift giving, let us ponder some of these gifts that the everlasting Father has given us. If you're a son of, or daughter of God, you, are, you have a Father, the everlasting Father. We're going to see three implications here. How does, what does that mean? Why does that matter? Well, in the first way, we're going to see that it matters is that we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear 
because we have an everlasting Father, and His protection is indestructible. His protection is indestructible. Yeah, as a kid, I remember being afraid. I remember being afraid a lot. I remember being awake at nighttime in the dark, being scared of what's in my closet. I remember hunting with my dad, and he would send us to go around a bush, and I remember being afraid of bears. I remember being afraid of being alone. But when my dad was with me, when he was with me, when he was near me, I wasn't afraid anymore. Because I knew that my dad loved me. I knew that he was big. I knew that he was strong. And I knew that he would protect me. He was the one packing the heat when we were out hunting. Last week we learned about Jesus coming as a mighty warrior king to defeat Satan. As Jesus is the mighty warrior, he is also our everlasting father. We have nothing to fear. Our everlasting Father is on our side. If we are His, He is near. There is nothing stronger than the Lord. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. That fatherly protection that Jesus provides us is forever. It can't be taken away. If God chooses to save you, and he chooses to protect you, you are saved forever, and you are protected forever in him. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Like David prays in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I'll be confident. As the Father and Jesus are one, like David, we can be confident that Jesus is the stronghold of our lives. We don't have to fear. His protection is indestructible. So let me ask you, are you afraid? Are you worried? Are you constantly afraid? Are you constantly worried? And in that, are you trying to control and manipulate every aspect of your life out of fear, out of anxiety, that's you this morning, and I think we're all there at times, we need to embrace, we need to embrace our everlasting Father. He came in part to remove all fears and all anxieties because he came as a strong Father, a strong Father who protects you now, right now, and forever, and his protection is unfailing. So we have this this battle that we deal with every day as humans. And as Christians, we, we battle our fears. We don't just sit back. We battle them with the everlasting Father. And it, it will only be won. Our battle against our fear will only be won by learning more and more who our everlasting Father is. Because he cares for you. 
He wants you to bring your worries to him. He wants you to bring your cares. He wants you to bring your fears to him because him alone can deal with those things. 1 Peter 5, 7, we're to be casting what? Casting all of our anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Everlasting Father. Our anxieties are to be thrust upon Jesus Christ and in exchange, he is to be giving you peace. Philippians 4, 6-7, the classic text about anxiety and prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to who? To God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a transaction that takes place. It's a true transaction. It's not just one of those Christian things we talk about. This actually takes place. This is a real transaction. You cast your anxieties upon him in thankfulness and prayer, and he gives you the peace of God. Test it. Try it. As an everlasting father, we have nothing to fear. His protection is indestructible. We also don't have to worry. We don't have to worry because his provision is inexhaustible. I know it's hard to trust God sometimes for his provision. I know how easy it is to fall into despair when something big is looming and you don't know what to do. But Christ is our everlasting Father. And he is an inexhaustible provider. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. In him, all things hold together. The scriptures say that in him we move and we have our being. Jesus sustains us. He provides for us. He feeds us. He clothes us. Brothers and sisters, the whole universe is his. He owns it all. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That's that's all his. There's nothing that happens inside of this universe or outside of this universe, no matter how big or small, that the Lord does not know about. He knows it all. He knows our needs. He knows them before we ask. He said himself in Matthew 6, 25, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food. And the body more than clothing. And he gives an example. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's a father, an everlasting father. You know, we can get so caught up in trying to provide for ourselves, worrying about what's coming in, being afraid of the next month, 
Though the one who is perfect knows exactly what we need. He's a benevolent protector, benevolent provider. And lastly, we also see here that we don't have to give up. So we don't have to fear, we don't have to worry, and we don't have to give up because his love is unstoppable. As a good father provides and protects, even an earthly father, an earthly father, when you're looking at their roles in this world, you know, we're called to provide, we're called to protect, and we're called to care. That's, that's biblical definitions of what it means to be a father. The good father must care, and a good father must love, and the everlasting father, his love is unstoppable. As the father and Jesus are one, Jesus loves us as his father loves us. And I love this even more than that. Jesus loves us as the Father loves him. Listen to John 15, 9, where Jesus says to his disciples, and he's saying to you and me, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Have you just read over that text and just kind of like, oh, it's good. I like that. You don't stop and ponder what's going on here. As the Father has loved Jesus, the eternal Son of God, so Jesus loves us. This is incredible, eternal, intimate, Trinitarian love. I actually think out of all the scriptures that speak about God's love, this is the strongest, this is the most incredible statement of Christ's fatherly, everlasting love towards you and towards me. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. Just think about that Trinity again. We're talking about God existing for all eternity as one God, yet three persons, these relationships within the Godhead, this Trinitarian love. One God, yet three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Think about the mysterious, unbreakable, loving, relational bond between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Think about that eternal, holy righteous, unbreakable love that exists between the persons of the Godhead, specifically here between the Father and the Son. Jesus is saying that same kind of love that exists between the Father and the Son is the same love that he has for you. It's incredible. That should really just kind of blow our minds. Even up until this last week, I don't think I really got this. This same fatherly love the Father has had forever and ever and ever. This everlasting, sacrificial, only begotten Son love is the same love that Christ has for me. He has for you. He has for all who are his children. 
If that doesn't encourage you, if that doesn't motivate you, if that doesn't heal and lead and restore your heart, I don't know what else can. It's eternal. It's united. It's the strongest love that has ever existed and will ever exist. This is the kind of love that God has for us. The kind of love that Jesus says he has for his disciples. And remember, remember who he's loving here. He's loving you and me. He's loving those who don't deserve his love. He's loving those who who ball up their fists and tell God, I'm going my own way. Those who rebel. Those who are choosing sin rather than choosing him. As the Father has loved me, he says, so I have loved you. Now, I know in many ways we want to give up on love, I think. Even thinking about that that fatherly love we've experienced in this life, we want to give up on love. We question love. We grow bitter towards love. Because in this world, love has fallen. Love is broken. Love fails. Love abuses. Love leaves. Love abandons. Love sins against you. But love from your everlasting father is perfect. It's incorruptible. It's intimate. It's forgiving. It's unstoppable. This world is going to let you down. This world is going to betray you. But if you're a child of God, his love never fails. His love never gives up. His love never lets go. It's a binding love. It's a secure love. It's a covenant-keeping love. It's the way that God loves. It's a shepherding love. Jesus says in John 10, 27 to 30, he's saying this about his sheep. He's saying that about you and me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's that grip that God has on you. If he loves you, he's holding on. He does not let go. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The love that Christ has for you is forever. I remember many years ago listening to John MacArthur, and he said something preaching this text that has stuck with me. He says, if God has ever loved you, he will love you forever. The fatherly shepherding love that Jesus has for you is more than just a feeling. It's more than just a statement. It's more than just affection. It's a promise. It holds on. It doesn't let go. It's a love that can't separate If it's ever given, it can't be taken away. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Down to verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're a child of God this morning, if God has brought you to a place of real, godly sorrow, and repentance over your sin, and you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you are a child of God. And Jesus Christ lavishes you with incorruptible, indestructible, inexhaustible, unstoppable, everlasting fatherly love. And he did that through the cross. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus died so that he could love you forever. With the same love that the Father has for him. Try to wrap your mind around that this Christmas. The Christmas story doesn't stop with a manger. That baby would grow into the God-man Jesus Christ and he became the ultimate lamb sacrifice for sin who took the ridicule out of love for you. He took the betrayal out of love for you. He took the beatings and the whipping out of love for you. He took the nails out of love for you. He took the wrath of God out of love for you. Out of love for his children. That's how we can call him an everlasting father. This is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is Jesus the Christ. Turn to him. His love is forever pure. His love is forever free. His love is forever faithful and forever full for his children. And he rules and loves as a perfect heavenly father. Back to Charles Spurgeon. He said this. He said, there is no unfathering Christ. And there is no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust in him. So as a child of God, you don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. You don't have to give up. Because Christ's personhood is infinite. His paternity is incorruptible. His protection is indestructible. His provision is inexhaustible. And his love is unstoppable. That's what Christmas is about. Let's pray.